Um, right, it's basically a sequel to um, Simmons Sunday. Who was here on Simmons Sunday? Okay, quite a number of you. Uh, who wasn't here? Good, quite a number of you, that's good. Um, uh, the tape of Simmons Sunday, the recording, I should say, because it's not a tape these days, is it, uh, is available on uh, the Lifeline audio website. And <clears throat> my podcast is also available through iTunes. <laughs> Stuff we like. Just a quick plug there. Um, but Simmons Sunday, um, there was a film with it. And if you've heard the audio to Simmons Sunday, you will know that uh, there's a film. And you would probably have heard the film but not actually seen it. Well, we're going to show you the film because I kind of figured, you may have noticed I didn't say anything on Simmons Sunday. Yeah. <clears throat> that wasn't deliberate. I did actually plan to say something, but the boys had so much more to say than I. And so did Amanda. And I thought, well, I'm not going to push them out of the way. They have important things to say. They have stuff to share from God. And it, it was powerful, I think. So... I was quite happy to take a back seat and just let them get on with it. But my contribution was this. Okay, it's bonkers, but run with it. Sometimes things appear in our life, and we don't know where they come from, and they take root. Maybe they were there right from the beginning. Maybe they've grown over a period of time. And God gives us a toolkit to deal with these things. Sometimes, though, we don't know what to do with all the various tools. And God gives us the tools, but we think... Ah, it's too hard. Can't be bothered. We actually had the right tool there, the axe. Or the saw. The saw would have gone a certain way. It would have been hard work, certainly. The axe would have been less hard work, but it would have been hard work. But the fact is, God's tools are hard work. They come to us, but we do have to learn how to use them. We have to read his word to understand what the context is when we use these things. And when we're battling... <clears throat> excuse me, stuff in our lives, it helps to have the right tools used in the right way. You will have noticed at the end I just got bored with the axe, throw it away. But the fact is that was the right tool. You're going to deal with a stump. An axe is a pretty good thing. It could be a little sharper. I borrowed that axe. It's not my own. It also needs to be applied in the right way, and it's hard work. I once dug up a, a path in a garden, and it was around about springtime. For some reason, the earth was very, very hard. Um, it wasn't my garden here. It was back in Hertfordshire when I was a teenager. And it was really hard work. I used a pickaxe. And, you know, I was, I was really shoulders back. Everything was really aching. But it got the job done. And sometimes we get an axe to the stump in our lives, and we give it a couple of thwacks, and we think, oh, that didn't work. What else has God got? Well, the truth is, he's given us a lot of stuff. And what we're going to look at is some of the tools that he's given us. Now, every tool I talk about, because I haven't got very long, could be a sermon in its own right. So really, this is potentially uh, like a month's teaching. But we're just going to look at some of the things uh, in very quick time. So God's toolkit, let's see if this thing works. That uh, music gets under your skin. Uh, doesn't seem to, to want to progress. 
Okay, so um, first of all, what do we have? We have God's continual word. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word, the rima word, that continually proceeds from the mouth of God. When we talked on Simmons Sunday, you will remember that Toby was going through some difficult stuff, and we struggled with him. And I'll talk a little more about some of the things we encountered when we were praying and talking with him. But it was a really difficult time for him. He struggled with a lot of issues, uh, anxiety primarily. And one day, we were due to go to a wedding. This was last summer. And it was one of these hot days, blue skies. We're all trussed up in suits. And he just wasn't himself. He wasn't happy. And we drove out as a family out of the drive, out of Dunkeld Road. And um, it was Peter who noticed there's a guy on a bike. Uh, he's got a T-shirt. It's got writing on the back. Looks like something biblical. So we looked at it, and it was Psalm 25, a little snippet of Psalm 25. The most strange moment, totally unexpected. We had asked God to start to break through in Toby's day, and lo and behold, Psalm 25. So we panicked and grabbed uh, my phone in the end, which was you know, buried somewhere in all the tut that you carry when you go to these things. And we pulled it out. We found Psalm 25, and Toby read it out aloud. And it was one of those moments you hear God clearly in your day, just cutting right through, scything through. And particularly the last few verses of Psalm 23, just spoke to him and arrested him in the middle of his anxieties and his struggles and made him realize that God loved him and was ready to speak to him, even through the strange thing of driving past a man riding a bike with a psalm on his back. It happens in Dagenham, folks. <laughs> it's just the most bizarre thing. It was completely and totally unexpected. We need to revisit the word that God has brought to us. God has spoken to all of you direct words, and he's bringing them back to life. He's fertilizing those words and bringing them back in sharp relief. Cultivate those words, dwell on them, meditate on them. Throughout the last... 20 years, I guess, when we struggled with issues with Jeremy and with Toby. Um, we've prayed a lot of the time, and a lot of the time it's been God's word that has sustained us. Not just through a prophetic word, but we did have a couple of those as well. But sometimes we'd be praying together and we'd get an impression and we'd go and look at that impression. And Toby, what he actually did last uh, summer was he wrote everything down in, a, in his moleskin notebook. It's worth buying a good notebook, or if you are like me, an iPad. <clears throat> but he got this lovely moleskin notebook, and he filled it with God's word. Every day, he wrote stuff down that God was saying to him. And then he finished that notebook, and he started another one, and he started another one. It's full of illustrations and Bible verses and drawings and stuff that God has spoken to him. When we dwell on God's rima word... It's about dwelling on the word that's now. 
writing it down in our hearts. The Bible talks about people writing it on their heads and on their hearts. Next thing, does it work? Oh, that went backwards. Oh, great. Okay. Oh, whatever. It's, yeah, upside down. That's strange. Faith comes by hearing God's word, not by having heard God's word. Thanksgiving. As I said, we're rattling through these ones. Thanksgiving is a key tool in God's armory. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You may not feel like giving thanks. The issues for which you are giving thanks may still not be completely dealt with. But it's important. The discipline of thanksgiving is important. It ties in with worship. We'll come to worship in a minute. But I'm specifically talking about giving thanks for what God has said, for the stuff that we've heard in the past, for the stuff that he will do in the future. Remind God of what he said in the past. Lord, didn't you say when I was nine that I would be the herald of a coming king? It's important to give thanks for what God has done and what he is continuing to do. Revelation 19.10 says, At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God instead, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we hear other people give thanks for what God has done in their life, it raises a prophetic expectation that God will do the same thing in our life as well and raises our faith. It may not be for something that's directly relevant to you. Maybe you don't need um, a boiler paying for, as Sheila spoke about. But you will need God's provision. And one day you might just think, ah, I haven't got enough for that thing. But I remember God spoke to Sheila. God brought that gift to Sheila. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It brings a prophetic response in us. And it's important, it's vital that we testify. We give thanks in public for what God has done to us. It's exciting. I don't know about you, but I just love, when I first became a Christian, I used to go around to people's houses, and we just spent, we'd have a meal or whatever we were doing, and we'd say, right, so what, how did you become a Christian? And some of the stories were bonkers. They were crazy. Angelic visitations. You know, people witnessing miracles like you've never seen. God, um, I remember one person, it was, it was one of those moments where they just stood up and God, the power of God fell upon them. And you just think, this is exciting stuff. You know, go to people's houses and ask how they became a Christian. You, you won't be disappointed. You'll never be disappointed because that's a supernatural power of God at work in our lives today. But also, ask them what God is saying to them now. What's their Rima word? What is the continual word that proceeds from the mouth of God? What's bringing them faith today? What's bringing you faith out of what they say? What testimonies do they have in their life? What testimony do you have in your life? Share this stuff. Talk about it. You can never do it enough. So, talk it. Thanksgiving. And... Uh, God's word. 
Right, now it's going the right way. How bizarre. Okay. Praying in the Spirit. By this I mean praying with knowledge, understanding where you feel the Spirit is leading you in prayer. I also mean praying in tongues. Praying in tongues is a funny word. It's a funny expression. It sounds odd. If you talk to someone who isn't a Christian about praying in tongues, they think, it's weird. It's just odd. But if you talk about praying in other languages which God gives you, or praying in heavenly languages, it's languages. And they have a syntax. And they have ups and downs. And you talk with verbs and nouns and adjectives. I don't know what they are. That's the strange thing. We don't know what we're saying most of the time. But God does. It gives us a direct route to the throne room of God. And you know what? It bypasses the enemy. He can't hear what you're saying either. And that freaks him out. So he stops us doing it. How does he stop us doing it? By saying it's not relevant today. Or even if we do pray in tongues, by saying, don't bother. It's just not worth it. And you get apathetic. Because you can't understand what you're saying, you kind of give up after the first 30 seconds. We need to persist in this stuff because there's a lot of power there. I'm going to read you an excerpt from The Essential Guide to Healing by Bill Johnson and Randy Clark. It's, it's a, I love these books. The Essential Guide to Healing, All You Ever Needed to Know. It's not quite like that, actually. Um, it is American, though. But hey. But hey. Okay. It's a lovely little story about Randy Clark and his wife praying for their little son who had terrible asthma attacks when he was small. One day, my wife, Deanne, was praying for our son, Joshua. He was only about three at the time, and he was having an asthma attack. She was praying with real seriousness because we had almost lost him to such an attack already. At least that's what the asthma department nurse specialist at St. Louis Children's Hospital told us. That time, his his lips turned blue, and he lost control of his bladder. The nurse told us the next thing was a cardiac arrest. From then on... We took his asthma attacks very seriously indeed. For years, we'd be awakened at 3 a.m. with Josh in another attack. On this particular day, he looked up at Deanne and say, Don't pray that way, Mommy. Pray the other way. Sorry, voices. (laughs) I'm inspired by Neil. (laughs) You know, Gehazi, Elisha's servant. (laughs) Maybe I'll take Neiman's money. Mexican. I don't quite know where that came from, but hey. So anyway, don't pray that way, Mommy. Pray the other way. She asked, what do you mean, dear? You know, Mommy, when you use the words I don't understand. Dion responded, why, Josh? He replied, because it works better. (laughs) That's all he could understand. But there's something in the power of praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, that is miraculous. It is a supernatural thing we're engaging in. Jackie Pullinger, when she went to Hong Kong, I'll never forget this. She said, um, God, she she was prayed for by an American couple, missionaries out there, and she received the gift of tongues. But she just gave gave up on it because she was kind of embarrassed by it. Um, And uh, the couple then spoke to her about six months after and said, are you using the gift God has given you? She said, no, actually, I'm not. How's your ministry going? It's all right. It's a bit of an uphill struggle. How dare you ignore the gift that God has given you? Use it. 
But she'd never thought of it like a gift before. You notice my character, it wasn't really me, although it kind of sounded and looked like me, and it kind of sounded and looked like Amanda, but she's not really like that. You'll notice I pulled out my brand new saw. Actually, it's not brand new, but for the sake of the film, it's brand new. This was given to me as a present. I'm not going to use that on a lousy old stump. Yes, use it. Use the gifts God has given you. They're there to be used, to be sharpened. How do you sharpen it? By using it. So Jackie Bullen just started praying in tongues for 15 minutes every day as this kind of ritual. She just felt that was how she would approach that particular thing. Within two, three weeks, people started falling to her feet and asking to be saved from their drug addiction. She thought her Cantonese was getting better. Truth is, her Cantonese was no better. You know what really freaked me out was when I went to visit Jackie Pullinger back in the oh, 80s, um, very privileged to go there a couple of times in her flat, and you'd hear all these Cantonese people singing in the spirit, and they're singing the same heavenly language as I use. I couldn't believe it. It freaked me out. I thought, that sounds like me. And yet they couldn't speak English. I couldn't speak a word of Cantonese. And then they would sing a song in Cantonese, You Are the King of Glory, by Mavis Ford, who used to be in this church. And they'd sing it in Cantonese. I couldn't believe it. I thought, that's amazing. But then they'd start singing in the Spirit. The most beautiful thing sounds just like us when we sing in the Spirit. No different. It's the same language in Southeast Asia as it is here in daggers. That's amazing. Use the gift. Praying in the Spirit. <coughs> Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. <sighs> when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we focus on bringing our hearts, minds, and bodies into line with the purposes of God. This results in us having the strength to be true to that purpose in the face of difficulty, face of difficulty and opposition. When we pray for something, we say, Lord, this is what I'm praying for. We direct our minds to it. You don't disengage your mind when you pray in the spirit or in tongues. And you can pray in the spirit in English too. Um, you just say, Lord, this is what I'm focusing on. This is it. And you go for it. So you bring your hearts, minds, and bodies into line with God's purposes. There is a purpose to it. I love that expression. I've used it myself many times. Even in the last six months, I've used it. Trust me. I suppose all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray? Do you realize what prayer does? Do you realize how the enemy has blinded us to the truth of what prayer can do? Because we don't understand. We're still tapping. We're still scratching the surface of what God has given us in this amazing gift of dialogue with him. It's two-way. All we can do is pray. I've done it myself. The next gift, tool, is worship. I love this piece. 2 Chronicles 20, 21, 2. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah at the time, appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out to the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Pause there. This is the worship team heading out the army. Oh, Mr. Cameron, you're missing something in your defense policy, I think. I don't know if he would buy into that somehow. 
I'm not sure if I would want to buy into it either. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, um, I met someone who'd been to Helmand province. It doesn't sound very nice. However, Jehoshaphat was tapping into something spiritual. Again, supernatural here. Sending out the praise and worship team first. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab, their enemies, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They were routed. The Judahites hardly had to lift a finger because Jehoshaphat had thought, I tell you what, let's do something different. The power of praise and worship, again, is a subject in its own right. But it became a key part of our battle last summer. There was that story, again, from Simmons Sunday. Do apologize if you've heard it already, but Amanda and I were trying to have a rest. It was an exhausting time, and summer's always exhausting anyway. And we couldn't. We just started laughing because we could hear Toby and Peter shouting and praising in Peter's room. Totally unexpected. And because it was a hot summer's day, all the windows were open. So you got that aspect as well. You know, the whole sort of, what will the neighbors think? Who cares? It's unexpected, but it's powerful. There's that wonderful passage in Acts where Paul and Silas are singing praises to God and the whole prison bursts open as an earthquake. I love that story. God up in heaven, imagine it. Hey, Michael. Michael. <whistles> Gabriel. <whistles> Raphael. Come here, come here. <whistles> Paul and Silas, they're knee deep in you know what, but they're singing. Listen, listen. Isn't that amazing? Michael, send an earthquake. Let's have a bit of fun. It's kind of like when Jonathan and his standard bearer were fighting that little bit of battle all on their own, and God said, this is fun. Let's send an earthquake. Let's have some fun. Let's join in. So God joined in. The whole prison burst open, and everyone stayed there because they were so terrified they didn't know what to do. And you've got that wonderful passage where the prison uh, guard says, what must I do to be saved? He came face to face with the power of Almighty God. Why? Because they were worshipping. Persistence. You will notice I picked up the axe at the end of the movie and I got bored because it was hard work. It is hard work. But you know something? Steel is stronger than wood. And eventually, if you keep hitting that stump at the same place again and again and again, the groove will get bigger and gradually the thing will split. The foundations will be shaken, the roots will be uprooted and blah, blah, blah. But it takes persistence. I've said myself, and I've heard other people say, it's kind of like, you know, I suppose all we can do is pray. I prayed, and I didn't get healed, and so I, I don't know. I don't know what God wants to do. And if I believe, I, I don't know. I prayed once, twice, three times. Maybe God wants me to pray 73 times. Maybe the power of persistence is more about me developing my own spiritual walk with God or being developed by God than it is just trusting that it will be instantly sorted out. 
It takes persistence. It takes a slog. It can be hard work. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, look, even though I don't care about God or men, because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see she gets justice so she won't wear me out with her coming. We have to persist. We have to keep bashing the axe on that stump. It will eventually give way. But it may be a year, two years. It may be two minutes. God has the power to heal instantly and frequently does so. And I believe we will begin to see more of that as we step out in God's purposes with words of knowledge and all that kind of wonderful stuff. I believe we're going to see more of the miraculous amongst us. But too long have we allowed our theology to be based on our lack of experience. I haven't seen healing, therefore I'm not sure if I believe in it. No, that ain't the case. God is a God of healing. He will bring healing. He will bring restoration. He will bring deliverance. It may not quite come in the way you expect, but it requires continual persistence. Just because you don't get an answer that you're expecting doesn't mean you should give up. Persist. And this one we're all familiar with. 2 Kings 13, 18 to 19. Elisha said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. So the king struck it three times. Can you imagine, right? Here's the king. Uh, Right, this is the arrows. Suspend your disbelief. Come on. This is drama. Strike. Strike. I bet Elisha was quite forceful. He was ill, actually, at the time. Nearly died. Or died later. He was also bald. I don't know why I said that. Just thought I'd throw that in. Sign of a man of God. And he said, strike the ground. Now, I guess the king would have had his courtiers and his advisors with him. He was a young man, the king, at the time. And his courtiers would have all been lads with him. And they probably went to the pub before he became king when he was still prince, a bit like, you know. And uh, they would have had a lot of fun together. And So he'd grown up with these guys, and they would have thought, what's he asking you for? It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> I'll do what he says. Yeah, all right then. And Elisha was so disappointed. You should have hit hit that thing again and again and again and again and again and again. Ow. I should have used real arrows. But you should should absolutely pound the thing. Because you are half-hearted, your victory over your enemy will only be half-hearted. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times, then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But as it is, you will, your army will be as half-hearted in its victory as you were in your banging the arrows. God is telling us as a church to persist, to keep banging the arrows. And there are some situations for which we have banged the arrows and banged the arrows and banged the arrows. And we're thinking, how much longer, O Lord? God knows. We just keep doing it. 
as long as he says to bang those arrows, we bang those arrows. We pray those prayers. We hold out before God day and night, if needs be, to see the resolution. We didn't see resolution in our situation as Simmons is for quite some time, and it's still difficult at times now. We're not through on it, but we chose to give thanks because that's what God had said to us to do and to use what God has taken us through as an illustration uh, for how we as a church can grow in the stuff we do together. And that's an important word, together. I'm going to spend a little more time on this final tool because I think it's where God really wants us to spend time dwelling a little bit. We are brilliant as a church at relating. That's what we do. We relate. Relationships are good. God has dug and built a foundation that's very strong in our body of relationships. Could be better. Absolutely could be better. Um, it's not foolproof yet, but that is our foundation. And it goes all the way across L&I, all, all the projects. Julio, that, that video really got to me. because Rule number one, don't put your microphone next to your heart. Um, really got to me because... He said, God's lifeline people are real people. What he meant was the relationship we have is so solid. It transcends boundaries and barriers and cultures and languages. I don't know what he said. I needed this subtitle. But the truth is he experienced that firsthand. And that's second to none. And God has built this foundation for a purpose. And one of the foundation, the reasons he's built this foundation of relationship is because as a body, we need to stand together. Nehemiah 4, when they were... Um, working to rebuild the wall. I stationed some of the people, says Nehemiah, behind the lowest points of the wall, the points of most vulnerability, okay, at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. By families, both means natural families, and also means clans, tribes. We are a tribe, one big tribe, and we are also arranged in smaller tribes. We might be in house groups, we might be in you know, networks of uh, prayer triplets and prayer groups and whatever. We might be in physical families. We might be extended families. We might be places where, you know, such and such is part of our family. They just hang out with us all the time. That's great. We love having them around. This is important. This is absolutely key. We cannot do this on our own. Could I have a small volunteer, please? Smallish. Um, uh, Robert, I think you're quite strong. That, I don't want Robert. Um, Nay, can I borrow you? Nay, and could I have Gary Walker, please? Okay, face each other. You're already starting to laugh, because you can see the, the sort of weighted against one another, aren't they? So, Gary, how easy is it to sort of push an A? Quite easy. 
Now, is it easy to, to withstand Gary's push? <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's tough. She's tough. Okay. But it's so much hard, easier when you get Neil, Martin, come up, please, Richard, Lorraine, all stand behind and put your hands on her shoulder. That's it. Right, now, Gary, give, give it a... Yeah, it's not so easy. <laughs> All right, thank you. Point taken, very simple. Thank you, guys. When things were really bad, um, I think I realized how much I appreciated what God has built over the years. All I had to do was text Daniel, Jamie, and they would start praying. And Jamie came over one time when things were really, really desperate. And he just stood with us, and he just cried out to God with us, and he declared God's faithfulness, and he proclaimed God's word over us as a family. We can't do it alone, guys. We cannot do this alone. There is a reason God has built the foundation of friendship and love and relationship among us. There's a reason why we chant love, acceptance, and forgiveness as a mantra, because we need that foundation to fight the battles in our lives. We can't do it alone. Though we are tempted as English people to say, oh, I, I've been brought up to cover my own expenses. I've been brought up to stand on my own two feet Take it like a man. Don't cry. Those of us who went to Edwardian boarding schools will remember such things. <laughs> Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We need to bear each other's burdens. We need to carry each other. We can do it so much more effectively when we are arrayed behind each other in power. There will be times when you need the team behind you, and there will be times when the team or the individuals will need you as part of the team. What does this involve? It involves vulnerability. It involves asking for help. Why don't we ask for help? Kind of embarrassing. We're supposed to stand on our own two feet. We're supposed to be Edwardian, you know, you'll be a man, my son, Rudyard Kipling, all that stuff big mustaches, bristling with pomade. That ain't the way. What we have to do is call and ask that people would stand with us in the gap so that in the most vulnerable places, we are supported by others. How do we do this? We text one another when things get difficult or sticky. Don't have to tell the rest of the world, but just tell those that you've asked to stand with you in this difficult time. Sometimes it takes more than one person to recognize the enemy's tactics and to help you counteract those. Do we pray together as families? Do we pray together as married couples? If you're a married couple, do you pray with your spouse? It's so easy to get on with life and forget 
and one day leads to the next and the next and the next, and the week's gone by and a month. Before you know it, a year's gone by, and you've talked to each other, you've said I love you to each other, but you haven't prayed together. And we've all heard that verse about the triple braided cord is not easily broken from Ecclesiastes. But do we do this? We need to. And I'm speaking to myself and Amanda as much as to you all because I know we've not at times. And it's only because we've encountered difficulty that we've found the power of praying together can really, really bring results. We need to pray together. We need to find groups of people that will pray and stand with us in things. No longer can we say, oh, I suppose all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray. No, we've got to realize this is the most powerful weapon God has given us. Prayer is the axe. Dare I say it, if you want to experience lifeline in all its power, don't come on a Sunday morning. Come on the first Tuesday month of prayer. Come to that prayer meeting. If you want to know what Lifeline's about, because that's where you find out where we're struggling, where we're hurting, where we're seeing the victory, where we're seeing the power of God, where we're distributing our resources. If you really want to feel part of this church, come to the Tuesday night of prayer. That is the prow of the ship. That is where the church cuts through the waters that God has caused us to plow through. That's where it actually happens. This is great. This is a celebration. It's an expression of who we are, but it's not the whole thing. It's not the whole deal. Prayer is the axe. And occasionally, I do believe, God is giving us the authority to be able to proclaim God's truth over situations. And rather than say, Lord, guide the surgeon's hand, which is a valid prayer, we can say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I command this tumor to go. I command this depression to lift in the name of Jesus. And we will see it done. I'm putting my neck out here. This is going to happen. As a father, someone said, what was the father's perspective of Simmons Sunday and all the stuff you guys battled through? I didn't have any answers, really. But part of it was God teaching me that I didn't have the answers and helping me realize. And you know what? The whole stuff about us confessing where God, where the enemy has been lying to us and all the stuff about the leaders weekend away where we started to expose some of the raw, difficult hurts in our own lives. That's all part of God preparing the way for us to work together. Because as we are vulnerable to one another, we can be so much more effective as a body in agreeing together to see God's will done. And also, a little note for parents. Um, just after I, was, uh, I went through a difficult time about 18 months ago, um, Amanda and I went to see Bernard Sanders, and he's always full of wisdom, but full of challenge as well. As one of those embarrassing things, we went to, as friends, just to see them as friends, but you know how it is. How, how can you have a conversation with someone and want to take notes at the same time? Kind of embarrassing. But he was saying so much wise stuff, I wanted to take notes. So Amanda was sort of right, writing on the back of an envelope some of the stuff Bernard was just saying. We were having a cup of tea, for goodness sake. 
And one of the things he said was, as parents, you must show your children when it's hard. They've got to see when things are tough for you and Amanda. And you've got to expose them to the vulnerability of your own hearts and ask them to pray with you and stand with you so that they get the experience of standing with you as an army, as a body themselves. It's freaky stuff. It's freaky stuff, but it's important that we are real to one another and real to our children. If we try and pretend, our kids will see through it and eventually want to walk. And finally, the three phrases that we finished Simmons Sunday with, and I'll finish with these before handing over to Neil and Lisa. There is no testimony without a test. There is no victory without a battle. There's no miracle without an impossible circumstance. Thank you.